After the conclusion of the Rose Bowl between the number one 13-0 Michigan Wolverines and the number four 12-1 Alabama Crimson Tide, the Sugar Bowl will kick off at around 8.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time between number two 13-0 Washington and number three 12-1 Texas. I previewed the Alabama versus Michigan matchup yesterday and compared a plethora of statistics, analytics, gave some of my personal opinions and observations, and that is exactly what we are going to be doing today. Though I will say that I am less confident in giving a prediction regarding this matchup than I am regarding the Rose Bowl matchup. I have not given predictions yet. My official preview and prediction video will come in the following days and will be released probably a week exactly before the matchups take place on New Year's Day. So if you want to see my prediction videos and if you want to support the channel and help us reach 20,000 subscribers, please hit that subscribe button and click the notification bell so that you can get notified when I release more college football content. Welcome back, everyone. Us fellow football fanatics are excited to see who between these four teams are going to win the national championship. And one team from the Sugar Bowl between Texas and Washington will make their first ever national championship game appearance in the college football playoff era in either Texas's first ever college football playoff appearance or Washington's second ever college football playoff appearance as they faced off against the Alabama Crimson Tide in 2016. This matchup to me is intriguing for a variety of reasons. And before I forget, comment your prediction if you have one down in the comment section below, along with your own analysis, thoughts, and opinions. You probably see something that I don't see and that I can learn from, or at least you can state something that will make me question my own opinions and dive deeper. That's why I love the college football community, is we we sharpen each other in our opinions and analysis. Also, if you want to support the channel, you can check out my Patreon page via the link in the description and the pinned comment, or you can super chat. But let's get back to this matchup between the Washington Huskies and the Texas Longhorns. This is the first time that either of these head coaches between Steve Sarkeesian and Kalen DeBoer have played for not only a college football playoff championship, but for a New Year's Six Bowl championship. Remember, one of these teams will also not only get a chance to compete for a national title, but they will be awarded the Sugar Bowl trophy. Steve Sarkeesian has never been a head coach and coached in a New Year's Six Bowl, which is pretty interesting since he's coached at Washington as their head coach, USC as their head coach, and last year's Texas team was significantly high in football power index and other power rating systems. Kalen DeBoer last season led Washington to an 11-2 record, and they actually beat Texas, I believe, in the Alamo Bowl. And despite finishing 11-2 and and being 10-2 and at the conclusion of the regular season, the Huskies were not invited to a New Year's Six Bowl. So a win here, even if it doesn't translate to a national championship, will be very much celebrated. Um, Texas, it has been a long time coming, but they're back. Even if they lose this game and it's not particularly close, the Longhorns, by virtue of winning their conference, winning double-digit games, playing in a New Year's Six Bowl setting, especially a college football playoff setting, they're back. It's official. And for Washington, this is their best season of the 21st century, period, amen. Washington is the first and only Pac-12 team, when the Pac-12 was the Pac-12 and not the Pac-10 or the Pac-8, the only ever Pac-12 team to go un defeated in the regular season and also winning the conference championship game. So two incredible feats by both teams this season. Texas getting back to their blue blood status and playing like a blue blood team. And Washington 
being the first and only Pac-12 team to go 13-0. Very impressive. Both of these teams, their strength is on the offensive side of the ball, in the passing game, and on the defensive side of the ball, in the lines of scrimmage. And both teams also have phenomenal offensive lines. Washington, it was just announced a few minutes ago at the time of this recording, that they won the Joe Moore Award. And that's very deserved because Dylan Johnson was going to be the second string running back to begin the season. Unfortunately, Cameron Davis got hurt. Prayers for him, and hopefully he recovers and has an awesome 2024 season when Washington will be playing in the Big Ten. Welcome to the Big Ten Washington fans. As many of you know, this is a Big Ten channel, but we're covering the playoffs because they're important and they feature what will be two future Big Ten teams and two future SEC teams as Texas is going to be joining the SEC next year. So Texas, welcome to the SEC. But for Dylan Johnson to have rushed for over 1,000 yards and run for 5.5 yards per carry and 14 rushing touchdowns says a lot about this offensive line, especially when Mateo Mele, who was their starting center, got hurt and is out for the season. Parker Brailsford has filled in nicely there. Um, Nate Kalepo and then Julius Buelo and Roger Rosengarten and Troy Fatanu at tight not at tight end, but at left tackle. Devin Culp and Jack Westover are at tight end for the Huskies. That whole group has done a phenomenal job in pass block, run block, you name it. So I do think that Washington deserved to win the Joel Moore Award. They have a more physical, deeper, better performing offensive line than Georgia and Oregon. And Oregon State, those would have been my other three candidates for that award. So that's very deserved. Just wanted to give a shout out there. Michael Penix Jr. was a Heisman finalist. I believe he finished second in the Heisman rankings. And Quinn Ewers at quarterback for Texas, he was out for a few games due to injury and Malik Murphy had to come in and he helped Texas reach this spot in the college football playoff, a spot that can really impact their destiny under Steve Sarkeesian. If Texas wins it all, which means they'll beat a 13-0 top four team in Washington and also a top four team in either Michigan or Alabama in the national title, that would be massive for Longhorn football. They are already recruiting at a Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia-like level. Them winning a national title and then earning more re revenue, TV and athletics-wise overall in the SEC next year would be massive for that program and give them a lot of momentum and prove that they're more than ready to compete in the SEC. And I think they're more than ready already. But Quinn Ewers, good quarterback, great quarterback. I don't think he is elite or near elite, but we see those flashes of someone who was the number one overall player in the 2021 recruiting class when he committed to Ohio State. Then he transferred to Texas last season at a pretty mediocre season. This year, Quinn Ewers has over 3,000 passing yards, 21 passing touchdowns, only six interceptions. He has a top 20 QBR, and he has a 162.6 passer rating, which is a total of 30-point improvement in passer rating compared to last season. So improvement from both of these teams compared to their counterparts from last season. Washington went from 11 and 2, really 10 and 2 in the regular season to 13 and 0. Texas went from 8 and 4, 8 and 5, 8 and 4 in the regular season to right now 12 and 1, 8 and 1 in Big 12 competition. Both teams are conference champions. That's something that's different from last season where only two playoff participants were conference champions. This year, all four playoff participants, Michigan, Alabama, Texas, and Washington, all four are conference champions. And it was very fitting that in the final year of the four-team playoff, there was intense controversy. That's incredibly fitting. And if anything goes to support the notion that if you were going to introduce a playoff system, four teams probably isn't enough. Because by deserving record, 
Florida State should have gotten in, but I also think that it's fair to say that Texas and Alabama, given their stronger strength of schedule and better victories, should have gotten in. And Michigan and Washington, no doubt, with stronger resumes and schedules than Florida State and better eye test performances, but also conference champions with undefeated records, they should have gotten in. An eight-team playoff, in my mind, is probably the most preferable, but I don't want to go off on that tangent. Expanding to 12 is great, and the BCS system of only letting two teams compete when there are typically three, at minimum, deserving teams that can realistically win it all every season, that's sort of bogus. But I say all of that to say that these teams, unlike Michigan, who's now been in the playoff three years in a row, and Alabama, who was picked by many to win the national title last year and in 2021, even by some this season. Josh Pate picked him in the preseason to win it all, and he could be right if Alabama beats Michigan and whoever is the champion of the Sugar Bowl. The Rose Bowl is the matchup between really what have been the has-beens over the past three seasons, or you could even extend that really to the past five seasons, half a decade, or period, the past decade. Michigan, even when they weren't winning the Big Ten and reaching the playoff, had more consistent success than Texas and about the same as Washington under Chris Peterson. Washington and Texas are these newer, less familiar faces in terms of playoff contention. And that, along with the fact that I think that Texas and Washington statistically are more balanced and their head coaches are newer on the scene than the matchup between Michigan and Alabama and the head coaches of Michigan and Alabama, where Jim Harbaugh's been at Michigan since 2015, Nick Saban's been at Alabama since 2007. There's so much interest here from me. What strikes me, out of the gate, is the fact that Washington isn't top 10 in FPI. They're 13th, and yet they're 13-0. And to a casual observer, this may not make sense, but Washington, if you've watched them often, and I have, and you look deep in the box score, you look deep in the analytics, they have had a lot of close affairs, and they have had a plethora of games where it could have gone the other way, but it didn't. Washington, Kalen DeBoer, Ryan Grubb, their staff finds ways to win. And Washington, I think, is one of those teams that when everything goes right, they have one of the highest ceilings in college football. Now, for a team like Texas or Alabama or Michigan, teams that have a blue-chip ratio of over 50%, it's fair to say that. It would be typical to say that, especially when they've performed at a high level with their great amount of four- and five-star talent. But Washington doesn't have a high blue-chip ratio. They only have a handful of four-stars, and I don't even know if they have a single five-star now that Sam Heward transferred to Cal Poly before the season began. Texas, Michigan, Alabama have anywhere from a small collection of five-stars to several handfuls of five-stars in the case of Alabama, and they are littered with four-stars everywhere. Washington is, in a certain sense, the black sheep of the playoff in terms of roster talent. And in team talent composite rankings, I think Washington's hovering around the 20, 25, 30 range of total team talent by high school recruiting rankings. Texas and Alabama are top 10, and Michigan is in the top 15. Washington being this team that, if it isn't evident already, Kalen DeBoer, I think, is a top 10 head coach. I think he is a top 10 offensive staff, a top 5 strength and conditioning staff. And Washington's defense, it's not perfect, but it's better than it was last season, and I think that defensive staff needs to get some credit. But you look at Texas, they're actually top 10 in FPI. Texas should be favored by nearly an entire touchdown, according to ESPN's FPI, but the Vegas line is only Texas minus 4.5. 
and the Longhorns are given nearly a 70% chance to win this game, 68.9% chance to be exact. The Sugar Bowl is also closer to Texas than it is to Washington. Yet in spite all of these things, I did a community poll, and I'm going to do a community poll again where I'll be asking about the playoff games and also all the New Year's Six Bowl games late this week, early next week. By late this week, I mean either tomorrow, but more likely than not, Saturday is when it will all start. About the playoffs and the New Year's Six Bowls. And your vote gets counted. Your vote is included in these videos. 61% of you picked Washington to win. Only 39% picked Texas to win. That's fascinating to me. That's very fascinating. Now, I know for a fact, looking at Action Network, the general public is leaning on Washington to cover the spread. They're likely leaning on Washington also to win this game. About 2,010 of you picked Washington to win. About 1,290 of you picked Texas to win. And I find that intriguing. Why do many of you lean Washington to win? Answer me down in the comment section below, and also tell me why you think Texas will win if you're picking the Longhorns. Because the way that I see this game, these teams are very similar, especially on the defensive side of the football. If Jonathan Brooks was healthy, I think the discussion around this game would honestly be different, because I think the offenses would be different. But the defenses in particular are similar. Washington has NFL-level defensive linemen, and so does Texas, obviously with Tavondre Sweat, but you also have Byron Murphy, you have Ethan Burke, Alfred Collins, and backing them up, you have Justice Finkley, Jure Bledsoe, Trill Carter, and Vernon Broughton. And at linebacker, you have Jalen Ford, who according to rlads.com will be about a third or fourth round pick. Anthony Hill Jr. starting as a true freshman at linebacker. And at Jack, you have Baron Sorrell, Sorrell and also Jet Bush. Very experienced, high-ceiling, dominant front seven. Texas might have, in terms of at least run defense, the best front seven in the playoff. Washington has Braylon Trice, who probably will be a first-round pick at edge. Zion Tupola-Fatui who will be a day two or day three NFL draft selection. Tuli Letuligesinoa and Olomo Ali at defensive tackle. And at linebacker, they have Mishael Powell, Alfonso Tuputala, and Adefuan Olofushio. I hope I pronounced those names correctly. If I didn't, feel free to comment down below. And backing up at defensive line, Voitanufi. Fatui Tulutelli, Jacob Bandis, and Sakai Asoa Afoa. That's who's backing up Braylon Trice, Scientopola, Fatui, and the defensive tackles. Both front sevens are anywhere from near elite to elite. I think Texas's, in terms of both pass rush and run defense, is overall better. I think that Washington has a higher ceiling at edge than Texas does, but Texas with Murphy and Sweat have a much better presence on the interior of that defensive line. I mean, Texas's defensive tackle room is deep. Not even kidding. The secondary for both of these teams, however, is anywhere from below average at best or average at best, maybe above average at best, but those are just in flashes to being horrific absolutely horrific and that is not an exaggeration that is the weakness of both of these defenses is their secondary now offensively texas they i think when jonathan brooks was healthy and even if we're factoring in cameron davis being healthy i think that texas would have the better running back room i think texas has the better tight end room with tavion sanders but offensive line I would slightly lean Washington, but it's close there. With wide receiver, it's just so tough. You have Xavier Worthy for Texas. You have Jordan Whittington, Adani Mitchell, 
For Washington, you have Roma Dunze, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, Jeremy Bernard, who's been a transfer weapon this season, Giles Jackson, who's also fast. So these teams are factoring in injuries offensively. They're almost forced to be similar. Texas has a greater... It benefits Texas more to pass than run than it did when Jonathan Brooks was healthy. Hopefully he recovers, and I think he's coming back next season. Very likely, yeah, redshirt sophomore. It'd benefit him and his stock to have another 1,000-yard season. And for Washington... They're pass-heavy as it is, and then defensively, they're better at stopping the run and getting to the quarterback than they are straight-up getting pass deflections or interceptions or getting coverage sacks. So these two teams are similar. That's why I'm excited for this matchup. I find it so interesting that analytics are heavy on Texas. The public is heavy on Washington. And even though, as I'll explain throughout the remainder of this video, I do think that Washington has some pretty critical matchup advantages on Texas that aren't necessarily the case the other way around, the public favoring Washington and the analytics favoring Texas does intimidate me because I'm an analytics guy. I choose analytics over public opinion. That's why I picked Michigan to beat Ohio State when much of the world outside of Michigan fans were picking the Wolver were picking the Buckeyes, and Michigan fans were picking the Wolverines, and I happened to be correct there. That's why I picked Michigan to beat Penn State, and I'm using Big Ten examples because that's the conference I'm most familiar with. But there are some exceptions, partially because matchups exist, and matchups can't always be they can't always be exposed through analytics, though I would argue if you take every possible analytic and line it up and write, up, write down the statistics or chart them on a spreadsheet and compare them, then you can see matchups. But that requires a load of time or some data science skills, which I'm trying to earn. But regardless, I want to start out talking about Texas. Texas is the team that analytically is favored to win this game. I did a whole chart on Google Sheets where I documented 136 different statistics most of them, about 125, 130 of them about are from TeamRankings.com. The rest are from ESPN's FPI. Texas has an 88 to 48 edge in those analytics, with Texas dominating in terms of discipline in every category relating to penalties. Texas takes the lead. Texas, in terms of ESPN analytics, outside of offensive efficiency, strength of record, and strength of schedule, they lead the Huskies. In terms of special teams defense, and in terms of running defense, the Longhorns lead. In fact, the Longhorns dominate in terms of rushing defense statistics. Passing defense surprisingly leans the Huskies, and outside of that, scoring defense, defense by quarter, leans Longhorns. And then the offense, running goes to Texas, passing goes to Washington, similar to how it goes on defense. But this Longhorns defense is much improved compared to last year's unit. And last year's unit was, I will tell you, special compared to what we've been accustomed to with Texas defenses that are soft, that are not physical. Last year's unit made a big jump. Gary Patterson helped out there. Pete Kwiatkowski, I think, has shown that he is a legitimate defensive coordinator, that he is a great defensive coordinator. If you followed him at Boise State and also during his time at Washington, you would know that that is the case. Texas being top 10 in opponent points per play and opponent yards per point, yards per point is roughly translated into being how many yards does your opponent have to gain on your defense to score the equivalent of a point. That means that rounding up only by a yard, really a yard and a half, opponents of Texas have to drive 20 yards to get one whole point. Pretty impressive. Top 10. They're eighth in both yards per point and points per play. They only allow about 0.265 points per play for their offense, for their opponents on offense. They're top 25 in 
yards per play allowed. They allow 4.9 yards per play. So that right there really shows that this defense, they're willing to give up yards, like a lot of good defenses, but they are very strict about giving up points. The weakness for Texas is when you look at their average passer rating allowed and their plays per game allowed, as opposed to their yards per carry allowed. Texas is top five in yards per carry allowed. They're fifth, only allowing 2.9 yards per carry but they allow on average a 122.9 passer rating, and that is factoring in games against Rice and Wyoming and facing off against Jalen Milrow before he really began to progress and the staff adapted to him at Alabama and also playing against Jason Bean, who's a good quarterback. Well, they may have played against Jalen Daniels. No, it was Jason Bean. Dylan Gabriel, so there's a mix of good quarterbacks and bad quarterbacks, but they're outside of the top 25 in average passer rating allowed, and when you look at yards per game allowed, when you look at many other things and statistics, it is a glaring concern here. I I just had to scroll a little bit, but Texas, 100 123rd, the Longhorns are, in pass attempts per game, 110th in completions per game. They're 51st in completion percentage. They're 86th in passing yards allowed per game, 90th in opponent passing first downs per game. They're 131st in opponent passing play percentage and opponent passing yards percentage. That means that teams try and run somewhat of an air raid, traditional air raid, not Kendall Bryles, not Garrett Riley, or not Phil Longo air raid, but like Mike Leach air raid on Texas's defense because their secondary is a glaring weakness and you don't want to run into Tavondre Sweat or Byron Murphy II on the interior. You, You don't want to do that. This Texas defense is one of the most pro-pass incentive defenses. That's not a compliment, but they're also one of the worst defenses to run against, which that would make Texas a bad matchup for a great Washington pass offense. It would probably make them a good matchup for even an improved Alabama offense, though, an Alabama offense that likes to run the football at an even higher percentage than Michigan does. And this defense would also schematically, and just in a brief overview, would also match up well against Michigan. If this defense can shut down Washington's offense, they will present problems for an Alabama and Michigan offense that like to run the football and establish their identity in the ground game. Well, Washington prefers to go as pass-heavy as they possibly can. This defense is tough. They're elite in the trenches. They'll close down and shut down opposing rushing attacks. They have all-American caliber interior players and a great pass rush. Their defensive ends and linebackers do have an ability to get to the quarterback. The Longhorns on the season have 32 sacks, 50 passes defended, 16 interceptions. They have eight forced fumbles and seven fumble recoveries. The weakness of Texas's defense is they have consistently horrendous pass coverage, and this is in spite of the fact that they have 16 interceptions and 50 passes defended. You either get the best out of the secondary or you get the worst, and there's not much in between. And that's pretty similar for Washington's pass defense, but I think in the same way that the Longhorns, despite both the Huskies and the Horns having good defensive line players— the same way that Texas is slightly better at defensive line, I do think that Washington is slightly better in the secondary. Although I would lean Texas at linebacker, don't necessarily know. I am more familiar with Michigan and probably more familiar with Alabama as well compared to both of these teams, but I am going to watch film on all four of these teams before making my official prediction videos. But This video is looking at the analytics and giving my thoughts and trying to leave as much of my non-objective opinions out of this as possible so that I can help you conclude who you think the better team is or help you to make a more accurate prediction. 
Offensively for the Longhorns, they are efficient at marching down the field with a balanced strategy. They like to split runs and split passes, and they don't like to go pass or run heavy in particular. And what helps them in that is a great offensive line and a great tight end in Jatavion Sanders and reliable wide receivers. Texas against TCU, they nearly blew that game, but to come away with a win, they had a deep pass. I believe it was to either Whittington, Mitchell, maybe Worthy. I mean, they have elite wide receivers. So do the Huskies. Texas passed on a third and long, which could have given TCU a free timeout, but they converted it. That's how reliable Texas is with their wide receivers, and that allows them to draw up surprising plays, that allows them to out-scheme opponents, to, to do things that not every offense can necessarily do. And they have great run blocking. Their tackles are good as well, but I think that Texas's interior offensive line, or at least their run blocking overall, is better than their pass blocking, as Quinn Ewers has been sacked more than 20 times, and Texas playing in the Big 12 hasn't faced the same defenses that Alabama and Michigan have, in my opinion, and even Washington. Washington has faced Utah. Oregon, in my opinion, has a good defense. Texas has played Alabama, and I gotta be honest, that's really it in terms of defense. And Alabama is a team that at the beginning of the year is not what they are right now. Right now, Alabama is a top six, top five team at worst, potentially a top two, or maybe, if this is the case, then this year of college football, I think is a pretty down year, the best team in all of college football right now. At the beginning of the season, they were not even a top 10 or potentially not even a top 15 football team. But this Texas offense, in spite of the injury to Jonathan Brooks, which sucks, they're efficient at scoring points. They're efficient at getting yards. Their lone struggle is red zone scoring percentage, where they are tied for 91st in the country, only scoring at about four out of five red zone trips. They're 25th in offensive touchdowns per game. They're 66th in third down conversion percentage. This Texas team, when Jonathan Brooks was healthy, reminded me of a Walmart-Michigan offense from last season with a better, with a better stable of receivers and I would say, if I'm being honest, just slightly better quarterback play. I think Quinn Ewers, please don't hate on me for this, I do think that Quinn Ewers is the fourth best quarterback in the college football playoffs. I think Penix is obviously better, I think Milrow is better, and I do think J.J. McCarthy is better. I think those three quarterbacks, in fact, you could put them all in a group, and Quinn Ewers, I think, would trail behind them by a pretty fair chunk. Texas's offensive line and their run game bully opponents at the line of scrimmage. They did that against Alabama. They were able to run effectively at times, even against Oklahoma, despite the fact that the Sooners played their best game on defense that whole season against the Longhorns, and that was one of the reasons why they were able to win, along with turnovers from Texas and poor red zone and fourth and goal play calling. That's the Longhorns' weakness. Red zone score percentage, third down conversion percentage, red zone success when only looking at touchdowns and not factoring in field goals as well. Burt Auburn is one of the highest scoring kickers this season. Texas, despite the fact that they're top, look, they're top 20 in points per play, yards per point margin, and points per play margin, they're only 25th in offensive touchdowns per game. And a lot of that is due to the fact that when they get in the red zone, they do get bogged down. But their defense is still great, as advertised by their yards per point margin, where they're, they have a 5.2 yards per point margin, and they're 11th there. Their offense, every time they get about 13 yards, they score a single point. They're 32nd in yards per point margin. The offense is explosive. They gain about 6.5 yards per play, which is 13th. And they score about 0.227 points per play margin, which is 13th. They have a 
0.492 points per play statistic, which is 17th. Got those mixed up a little bit there. The strengths are elite athletes at skill positions and great run blocking, and the weakness is the health and capacity of the run game and red zone play calling, which is really that translates to running back and Steve Sarkeesian's play calling, hold the offense back. And the running back room wouldn't be a concern if Jonathan Brooks is healthy. And C.J. Baxter and Blue and Robinson are still good running backs. So that's a weakness in the sense, not that it's a bad room, but just that's just the weak link in the chain, in a chain that's titanium strong. This wide receiver core is a top five receiver core. The offensive line, I think, is top 15, probably top 10. Jatavion Sanders might have been the best tight end in all of college football this season, only because Brock Bowers wasn't healthy, and when he did come back, it was clear that he wasn't 100%. So health and capability in the ground game and red zone play calling is a weakness, but when you have Xavier Worthy, Jatavion Sanders, Quinn Ewers, when healthy and when protected, plays a great game, and when you have a good offensive line, an offensive line that features Jake Majors, Redshirt Jr., Hayden Connor and DJ Campbell, a junior and sophomore respectively, and Christian Jones and Calvin Banks, redshirt senior and sophomore respectively. These are players who aren't, they're not super seniors, and yet they're playing at a high level. I wonder how many of them are going to come back next season, which if all four outside of Christian Jones, even he could have some eligibility left. If they come back, Texas could be a candidate for the Joe Moore Award next season. But that's looking at the Texas Longhorns. Let's move on to the Washington Huskies. Defensively, the Huskies, by analytics, have the worst defense in the college football playoff. They're only top 25 in one statistic, opponent yards per point. Opponents have to gain 16.8 yards on the Huskies to score single point. So it is tough to drive on this Washington defense and score points. It's very tough. And this is a Washington defense that because of their ability to get pressure in moments that matter and their ability to also stop the run when it matters, they have a bend but don't break defense, but one that is very efficient that's where you get the high yards per point statistic and also serviceable points per play allowed statistics. This defense is outside of the top 50 in opponent yards per play, opponent plays per game, average yards per carry allowed, opponent red zone scoring percentage, and they're barely inside the top 50, tied for 44th in opponent punts per score. Basically, for every one punt forced by Washington's defense, they will consequentially give up one score. That's not a ratio to necessarily be proud of, but when you see the statistics that this offense puts up, you will understand why this defense doesn't have to be elite for Washington to win it all. They're 28th in opponent points per play. They allow 0.324 points per play. The defense maintains a strong run defense, and they have improved their pass defense. But the Huskies' goal is not to win games defensively. The goal is to win games offensively and for the defense to limit opposing offenses to scoring less than the Huskies' offense. But there have been games, like against Arizona State, or against Washington State, where the defense really had to step up because the offense just wasn't producing. So this defense can, in key moments, come up with clutch stops, or like against Arizona State, they can just straight up win the game for you. I don't know if this defense has the capability to win Washington a game on their own against Texas or Alabama or Michigan. Those are top four, top five, top six teams, I say that because in the case of Georgia and Ohio State, those two teams might have an argument to be better than some of the teams in the top four, but they're not as deserving as the teams right now that are in the top four. But Florida State is more deserving than Ohio State and Georgia. Doesn't mean that they are better analytically or in terms of power rankings. But again, don't get off on a tangent, Sam. Get back to the topic at hand. 
I don't know if they could win on their own, this defensive unit, against these great two elite offenses, but the Huskies, you have to respect what they do, not just on the defensive front, but in the secondary. They only have 19 sacks on the season, but their pressure rate is higher, in my opinion, than their sack rate. And they do have 16 interceptions and 56 passes defended, also have five forced fumbles and two fumble recoveries, and two pick sixes. So this secondary is similar to Texas's in terms of the fact that you either get your best, a turnover, a pass defended, or you get your worst. But I do think that Washington in the secondary isn't as vulnerable. They aren't. That, that They don't have the same level of weakness. And I think that Texas being able to get better pressure and having a better interior presence, the fact that Texas has a greater capability to force their opponents to be one-dimensional compared to Washington, and yet their secondary statistics are still on average slightly worse, I think shows that if you gave Washington and Texas the same defensive line, you would see Washington's secondary have a significant edge over Texas's secondary. This defense... Strong run defense, it's not the same as Texas's. I don't think it is elite per se, but they also have good tacklers at linebacker. They have a high ceiling with Braylon Trice, and their weakness is the secondary, but they have shown improvement in the secondary. But when you give up that long pass to Treshawn Holden, let Troy Franklin torch you, I know that's the best receiver core they faced all season, but they also, look, USC... Scored 42 on that defense. Oregon scored 33 and 31, I do believe, on that defense, respectively. This defense is just, it's not great. It's good, in my mind, but it's the worst defense in the four-team playoff. And I'm curious to see how it matches up with a great Texas offensive line and an elite tight end in Jatavion Sanders. That'll be an intriguing matchup. We'll be... How does Edifon Olufashayo and Alfonso Tuputala and Michel Powell, how do they match up at linebacker against Jatavion Sanders? And how do they do tackling C.J. Baxter, Jaden Blue, and Keelan Robinson? And will they ever be able to assist Braylon Trice in getting pressure on Quinn Ewers? That Washington front seven against Texas's really entire offense is going to be interesting. And I say that because we know with Washington's secondary, the same way we know with Texas's secondary, that they will give up some big plays, likely in the passing game, but also if the defensive line or linebacker core gets occupied and the secondary needs to make a good tackle or a clutch tackle at uh, on the opposing running back, that will be a tall task to ask as well. But let's look on offense for Washington. They have NFL-level coordination, they have an elite passing offense, and they do have a good ground game. Look, for example, in terms of yards per play, that's not only because of Michael Penix and Roma Dunze, though that's most of the equation. That's also because of their ground attack as well. The Huskies are fourth in yards per play. They average 7.1 yards per play. They're 11th in points per play margin, though points per play margin doesn't just factor in offense that also heavily factors in defense. They have a 0.249 points per play margin, which is 11th in the country. Washington is sixth in offensive points per play, scoring 0.572 points per play. They have a 4.4 yards per point margin, which is 18th. And they're 19th in straight-up yards per point. With a 12.4 yards per point statistic, that means every 12 yards they gain, on average, they score a point. They're 12th in third-down conversion percentage, converting 47.97% of their third downs. They're 8th in offensive touchdowns per game, scoring about 4.7 offensive touchdowns per game. The only statistic where they're outside of the top 20 in is red zone scoring percentage. They only score 85.94% of the time in the red zone, and that's because Grady Gross, good kicker, not an elite kicker, and also Washington likes to go for it a lot on fourth down, which means sometimes you score a touchdown instead of a field goal. Other times, you just wasted your entire drive 
into the red zone. But looking at Dylan Johnson this year, 1,113 rushing yards, 5.5 yards per carry, and he has 14 rushing touchdowns. On the season, Washington is averaging 4.5 yards per carry. They have 26 rushing touchdowns, and they have 1,628 rushing yards. They have the exact same amount of rushing touchdowns as Texas does, except Texas has about um, 830 additional rushing yards, and they average about 0.4 more yards per carry. That's also because they have ran for... 139 additional times the Longhorns have compared to Washington's 360 carries. That and the fact that Washington has 35 passing touchdowns and Texas only has 24, that translation means that Washington's offense is that much more effective at scoring touchdowns as opposed to field goals. Washington's Grady Gross is 13 of 17 on the season, and he's 58 of 58 on extra points. Texas's Burt Auburn is 52 of 52 on extra points, and he is 28 out of 34 in field goals. 28 field goals made. He has 136 total points. Meanwhile, Grady Gross only has a total of 97 points. So that's another factor to look at here, is Washington analytically overall is the inferior team, but in some of these areas that matter more because not all statistics are equal. Like I would argue that points per play margin, because it factors in the most important statistic, which is how many points you're scoring and that it takes into account offensive and defensive scoring numbers. I'd argue that's one of the most important statistics. And the reason I argue that is because looking in the past several seasons, Typically, the number one team in points per play margin is the national champion, or they reached the college football playoff. So that's an important statistic. And I think that an overrated statistic is anything that has to do with only yards, especially yards per game. Yards per game could be a totally useless indicator. It could be because it's only going to be focused on one side of the football, and if you produce a ton of yards but you only kick field goals or you turn it over consistently, that that's not the mark of a good offense or, let's say, a defense that's good in yards per game allowed, but in big games like a Don Brown defense, they just totally and utterly fold. I think Washington has an edge in a lot of these statistics that matter like a superior red zone score percentage when comparing the offenses, a much better third down conversion percentage, and I would argue a better matchup when you look at Washington's offense versus Texas's defense as opposed to Texas's offense versus Washington's defense. Texas's offense, they can run, they can pass, they'll have a balanced attack, and Washington has the more balanced defense. Texas has what honestly is a bipolar defense. They could have the most efficient run defense in the country right now and also have one of the most unproductive pass defenses in the country given the talent they have at the secondary position. Washington, meanwhile, their offense is perfectly content going into an air raid. Their offensive line, I think, is the best in the country objectively. They've been able to run the football on anyone despite injuries at the offensive line and running back room. I expect that they will have greater success against Texas's defensive line than most rushing attacks have, and that combined with a passing offense that is lethal against a secondary of Texas's that is suspect is cause for concern. But what's concerning to me about Washington is Texas on average plays a better game and has proven that they're capable of dominating opponents. They dominated Alabama. I don't care that it was a close game for three quarters. They bullied Alabama in the fourth quarter. That's a dominant performance. They owned Texas Tech. They owned Oklahoma State. Who is Washington owned outside of a Michigan State team who was 4-8 and eight to conclude the season and outside of Boise State and Tulsa? Who have they dominated? I'd argue they had a controlling performance against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, and at the end of the day, they controlled USC in the final minutes of that game. But 
they haven't shown an exact capability of dominating a team, just an astounding ability to close out close games and to have a clutch ability that may be second to none nationally. I think Washington, because of their offense, might actually have the highest ceiling in all of college football. The problem is, due to a lack of blue-chip talent, and this matters, it's something that, for someone like me who loves efficiency and loves analytics, I hate to hear that compared to other people who care more about recruiting, but it's true, recruiting does matter. Because of the fact that they have the least talented roster in terms of blue-chip ratio and in terms of team talent composite, they won't they won't play to their ceiling every game. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Texas, those teams have enough talent to where if you put the right coaches and the right systems in place, and even for a team like Michigan, but you have to have, like, Ben Herbert, you have to have the best strength and conditioning coach in the country. If you put certain systems in place for teams that have significant talent, they can play to their ceiling week after week. I don't think Washington can do that, and I think that's part of the reason why they haven't been all season long. They need to strategically assign their big moments to certain games. So I think they'll come out and play one of their best games of the season against Texas. I think it'll be the same from Texas against Washington. I think matchups strategically, schematically, favor Washington, but overall talent does favor Texas. And Penix has been inconsistent at times. It's not common, but if Washington doesn't play their A game, Texas has such a talent advantage. They have an even greater talent advantage over Washington than Alabama does over Michigan when looking at team talent composite. And Alabama has a pretty significant talent advantage. That could result in Texas wearing down Washington because it's hard to play perfect and play great and win big games when you're a one-dimensional team. And Washington offensively is pretty pretty one-dimensional. And I expect that to be the case against a team that is very good at stopping the run. And Washington, while they have a good run game, it's not elite. But I think I've talked enough here. This game is just so interesting. And I think there are more unknowns in this matchup than there are in the Rose Bowl. But thank you for watching. Thanks to Crash2488 for sponsoring this video as a Heisman patron in the month of December. Thanks to Spencer Bringhurst, my All-American patron of the month of December. And thanks to Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Gnome, Matthew Sale, Chris Lane, Austin Christmas, and Zubin Zah for being all conference patron members. Have a phenomenal day, guys, and I will see you all around. Bye-bye.